Welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order they were released, and I bring them to you once a week, every Wednesday in the year 2021. And uh, we watched Lifeboat, or I did. I don't know if you did, but I rented this on Google and watched Lifeboat. And I said that Shadow of a Doubt, Alfred Hitchcock had referred to as his own personal favorite movie. And in hindsight, you know, there are things about that movie that are good. This is way better. Uh, Lifeboat is easily the best movie I've watched so far. Um, And The Lady Vanishes is good. But this is finally just a good, like a good movie, and it doesn't have a ton of downtime. And the downtime that is there, the slower parts, are purposeful. They're character driven. They are not empty moments that feel like they could be cut from the movie. And this movie is, is like I said, it's called Lifeboat, and it's called that for a reason because the movie completely takes place from the lifeboat, the entire movie. The opening scene is the title. You'll see the title screen and all the credits. And then you see as the the credits fade, the boat is sinking into the water. And that boat was shot by a U-boat or AKA a submarine, as we would call it today, a German submarine. And all these Americans, and I think maybe some British soldiers, I'm not sure they were heading to Britain or to the UK Uh, from the States, I believe. And uh, it goes down. And the first character we get introduced to, and I might get these names mixed up, but I believe like the first person we're introduced to is Connie Porter, who is a reporter uh, or some sort of writer. She has a, uh, what do you call those things? A typewriter. And she's taking pictures of things. uh, And she's in this lifeboat completely unscathed with the exception of her torn nylons her her leggings have been torn and she looks terribly put out by this despite the fact that the boat that she was on has just sunk and possibly everyone on board is dead and she's taking pictures of the the debris and everything around she's documenting it when a gentleman by the name of john kovac swims up and she's able to pull him into the lifeboat and They start a conversation mostly based around the fact that she looks like she hasn't been in a boat that just sank. And her explanation is, is that she got into uh, the lifeboat early enough where she didn't get disheveled and she had all her bags and things. And you find that throughout this movie, it's something she's very superficial, even to the point later in the movie when they think they're about to be saved. And the boat's going to be there in 20 minutes to save them. She's 20 minutes and she has to do her makeup and all that. Kovac and Porter have a little conversation and she starts taking pictures. There's a bottle, a baby bottle floating in the ocean. And she starts to take pictures of it. This pisses Kovac off. He's like, why don't you wait for the dead baby body to come around to take pictures of that? He finds her completely insensitive. So we start to actually fill this boat up with more cast members. We have Gus, who's kind of the bigger gruffer he's like a big guy um we also are introduced to uh, a guy named stanley garrett but he goes by sparks now stanley garrett is played uh by uh hume cronin 
I believe is his name. Uh, he was in our previous film. Um, as you remember, I was telling you about the guy who's having a conversation with the main character's dad. And it was like they're best friends and they plan to, you know, they to pass the time. They talk about how they're going to kill each other. That's this guy. He's great. He's fantastic in this. And really, the whole cast is great. There's no weak bunch. Like Tallulah Blankhead or Bankhead, she plays Connie Porter, who's this really uppity, sophisticated woman. And she does it so well. It's almost like Cruella de Vil, but not as evil as Cruella. Much more just sort of rich and but not evil, just kind of annoying. Uh, we also get introduced to um, Alice McKenzie, uh, who is a nurse uh, that was on the boat. She worked in the the, the infirmary or whatever. Uh, and a gentleman by the name of Joe Spencer. Uh, now, Joe Spencer is actually um, played by a black man. We have a full part here. And the first one I've seen in a Hitchcock movie that isn't just a really tiny part, but he's a major player in the story. Um, he's played by a man named uh, Canada Lee. Uh, and again, that's Joe Spencer. Uh, the last person we get to meet is Mrs. Higley. And actually, she's introduced with Joe. Uh, Joe is swimming, asking for help. He's carrying a baby and he's carrying Mrs. Higley, and they both get on board the lifeboat. Sadly, the child has not survived. And Mrs. Higley is understandably distraught, but actually early on, she's sort of in denial. She's hugging the child, pretending it's alive, and they kind of let her do it because, frankly, what else are you going to do? We're out at sea. Well, at some point, she passes out, and they decide they need to go ahead and do an ocean burial. It's the only thing that makes sense in the situation. They don't know how long they're going to be out here. And, uh, you know, they start to, uh, you know, someone wants to say some words. And um, now, oh, I forgot to mention, there's Charles J. Rittenhouse, who is a very wealthy man on this boat. He has, owns factories and he's rich. I don't know what he's doing on a military boat. They probably said I didn't hear it, but. Uh, he's a very wealthy man. And uh, so he starts to say um, the words to Psalm 23, which you would know as this. We see now, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He, uh, he, uh, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so that was uh, Joe Spencer speaking there at the end. Uh, the the man who started the reciting of the psalm was uh, Mr. Rittenhouse. And it gets established a lot where um, Joe is sort of the spiritual leader on this trip. He is um, the man of faith. 
And so just before this scene, we are introduced to our last character. His name is Willie, and uh, he is played by a guy named Walter Slezak. And this guy is a Nazi who was on board the U-boat that sank the boat that the rest of our cast was on. And that's a great pitch for a movie. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time on this lifeboat with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people who have been sunk because of the ninth person. And the question is, do we trust him? What do we do with him? Some of the people like Mr. Kovac, he wants to kill him. And Connie Porter, who is able to speak German and communicate with Willie, uh, says that he says he's, you know, just one of the staff workers. He just works. He's not a head of the boat or anything like that. You know, he didn't have anything to do with sinking the ship. I get Mr. Kovac wants to dump him out. Everybody else is pretty much on board uh, with, um, you know, keeping him alive. We'll bring him back to the States. He'll be a prisoner of war. We need to be better than this guy. Uh, with the exception of Mr. Kovac and Gus, they all want to keep him alive. There's an interesting part where they ask Joe for his input and he goes, oh, I, I get to vote. And he's sort of surprised because in elections, since Joe's a black man, he's not allowed to vote. Um, but here on the lifeboat, um, he is treated like an equal. Um, there are parts where he gets told what to do and he does it, but that the same thing happens with everyone else on the boat. It's not uh, this sort of, expected sort of uh you're beneath us thing it's more of everybody's working together uh they do appoint a captain and everyone sort of follows the lead of this captain and takes instruction from them so it feels totally fine to me as a white guy um so now they have to take shifts uh of one person staying awake uh while everyone else is able to sleep so they can keep an eye on the nazi guy and uh, you see that this Nazi guy sneakily actually has a compass. And that's a big deal for these folks on this boat because that compass would be tremendously helpful in them finding their way home. Uh, they're trying to get to Bermuda, uh, where they believe is the closest land they can get to. There's actually a bit of an argument, too, about which way is the correct way to go. Uh, Sparks, uh, who is again by played by Hume, he seems to think he knows which way they need to go, but it's a little tough for him to tell because where the sun is and all that. There's a couple, there's a, a plot hole here to me because the argue, the thing he says is that with as high as the sun is right now, it'd be hard to tell. Well, then let's wait a couple hours until it's lower and you know that it sets in the west. You can get a good idea which direction you're headed. But they take Hume's word for it, mostly because they don't trust the Nazi, and the Nazi seems to know which way they're going, or seems to think he knows how to get to Bermuda. Now, the mother of this child that has passed has comes to, 
and they actually have to kind of sedate her and keep her from diving in after her child who's long gone uh and during one of these watches um mr rittenhouse it's his job to watch and uh, he falls asleep and when he comes to the mother is gone and i'm not sure what happened they don't show exactly but there is a rope that is hanging off the side of the boat and i guess she hung herself in water I don't know. They don't show exactly what happened to her, but she's clearly attached to this rope because they ca- they cut it and let her go. Now, another plot here is for our man Gus. Now, Gus says he's, again, one of the people that wants to dump the Nazi uh, overboard. And, and the reason he gives is because he's actually German himself and he's embarrassed to be German because of the what's happening in Germany at the time. And his real last name was Schmidt and he goes by Smith now. Uh, Well, he's been injured in that initial explosion of the boat they were on, and his leg has uh, turned. It's gone gangrene, and they need to amputate. Now, our nurse on board, she's not, she hasn't even assisted in an amputation, but the Nazi says he knows how to take care of it. And of course, there's a lot of distrust. Do you trust him or not? Well, basically, they decide, well, what do they have to lose? Because if they don't amputate this leg, Gus is going to die. And like his big thing is, is he doesn't want to go home with a limp uh, because of the girl he's with. I guess he thinks she's shallow. They have a whole discussion about it. But anyway, he gets talked into allowing the German to amputate him, amputate his leg. And uh, they he drinks a, like a full bottle of brandy. Uh, and fortunately for him, he passes out while the surgery is taking place. And uh, the, apparently it goes swimmingly and he's fine. Uh, he's been restored. And this gets a lot. Uh, this builds some trust in the Nazi man, Willie. I'm going to stop calling him Nazi man because in the movie, they don't really give you a hint of where he's coming from until a little later. Like, I mean, you see that he has this compass that he's not sharing it, which is scummy. But he's also got all these people with him that don't trust him. And he may be thinking it's the only way to keep himself alive. So after the amputation is successful, they again have a discussion about which direction they're heading. And they decide to actually follow the... Uh, Willie's lead because uh, Sparks, who had the initial bearing, isn't that confident in it. So uh, they go with what. Now, the thing is, is that so the reason they trust him too, kind of, which is weird. They don't fully trust him. They never do. But there's a part where, uh, you know, they're not sure if he's who he says he's like, if he's a captain or not. And so Connie just says El Capitan or whatever in german and he responds immediately and then realizes he's caught he was actually captaining a ship he was probably the guy that gave the order to sink their boat but he also is a captain so he knows a lot about navigating the seas and so they sort of put their lives in his hands and allow him to navigate them in the direction they're going to go well at night our friend sparks is up he's uh getting to know um so many character names 
He's getting to know Miss Higley, who was the nurse. And it turns out she at one point in passing says that she's glad that the boat got sunk. And people think that's crazy. And it is. Uh, but she gets asked. She gets asked about it. And the reason is, is because there was a man back in London who is a married man that she was sleeping with. And she felt bad about it. And getting away from him was good for her. And that's why she didn't want to go back to London. She tells this story and uh, Hume or Stanley Garrett or Sparks, as I call them, uh, here's this story. And they sort of hit it off and they have a little flirtatious thing uh, going. Now, Hitchcock, for as many romantic movies as he's done in the past, isn't that great at this? Because it just always feels like in all of these movies, even when there's chemistry, I, The Lady Vanishes is probably the exception because that worked for me. But in a lot of them, this chemistry doesn't work. It doesn't leap off the screen. And while I think these two performers could have chemistry, there's no actual work put into it. Uh, they're a little bit of just, they, they're the two best looking people on the boat, I guess. And he, uh, keeps toying with the, the ribbon in her hair. It's not even a ribbon. It's like a piece of twine. And it's like very minimal amount to try to establish this romance. And, um, there's another romance between Mr. Kovac and Porter, uh, Connie Porter, who's it's a little bit better, um, but neither of them are great. And it's neither of them are actually the point of the movie. So Sparks is driving the boat at night and he's talking to Miss Higley and he starts to notice where Mars is. Now I know at night you can see Mars and then he mentions Venus. I'm not as certain, but we'll just say, Hey, you can see Venus at night and he's able to find out that he has been told wrong by the German. So immediately corrects course and they start going the right way. They find out that, you know, so Sparks is one of the trustworthy people. They, he tells everyone and they decide. So at some point, Kovac had been sort of elected captain of this ship and they uncover that this, what they think he's looking at is his watch is actually a compass. And they're wondering why he had asked Connie the time earlier. So they deduce there's something up with this watch and they ask Joe to take it from him. And apparently Joe has this unsavory past where he used to be a pickpocket and a thief. He was well known for it and has a reputation for being pretty good at it. And, uh, they get him. Now he's very reluctant to do it because he's given up that past. He's a man of faith now, but he does it for the good of the ship and actually asks, uh, Kovac if it's an order. And it is an order. And that's what I was talking about where it's kind of like any time in a movie, especially these older ones where a white guy's bossing uh, a black man around, it can feel awkward. In this movie, I think it makes it clear that this is more of a captain and subordinate relationship than anything else. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, so he pickpockets the watch and it turns out, yes, it is a compass. And so now they've learned that this guy has been trouble. He's been lying to them the whole time and he's steering them the wrong way towards a uh, supply boat, a German supply boat. Now, then 
a storm like immediately rolls in and Sparks is trying to steer and it's going crazy and they're trying to buckle up um, Gus because Gus is uh, out of his mind still. Like he's only got one leg and he falls out of the boat. The storm is going and everybody's going crazy. And the, the person who writes the ship and gets everything, everybody saved is Willie. And now at this point, there's just kind of like, like, and I do like this movie, but there are things that just kind of are weird. Uh, the, the fact that he didn't notice where the sun was earlier when it comes to navigating the seas is a bit, okay. You know, eventually they, I guess they need that plot there to give it time to be off course, but and not to make him obviously the villain. But then there's this part where Willie is now running things and everybody's like giddy with Willie. And like, Haha, even Kovac, who wants him dead, admits that, hey, we, all of a sudden Willie is singing German songs and they're playing a tune for him and everybody is on his side. And, um, they're just kind of given away to this around this time. The romance between Connie and Kovac starts up. It doesn't make a difference in the plot. Like if you could snip some things, it would be the subplots of romance. Um, they, even to the point where they're, once they get home or he said, you know, uh, uh, spark says, once he gets home, he wants to marry Miss Higley if she'll have him, and she will. And again, it's just kind of, I guess, I guess you can almost take it as, in a situation of this nature where you're out at sea, you can be really emotional about this, but once you get back home, you know, are they really going to still be married? Well, they're really impressed with Willie because during this wreck, this, this initial, not initial, but the storm that came up, they lost all their food and their rations and medical supply, like everything, their water, it's gone. And again, if you don't know, when you're out in the ocean, you can't drink the water that's around you because it's mostly salt and it will dehydrate you faster. Uh, they have to keep reminding Gus of this because he's super thirsty. And for some reason, Willie has tremendous amounts of energy. He's not affected by the lack of water or lack of food. And Gus, who's kind of gone delirious from thirst and having his leg amputated and probably loss of blood, uh, he starts hallucinating. You don't see the hallucinations, but he sees himself having a, a drink with his girlfriend. And he notices, though, that Willie has a bottle of water. He's taken the old bottle of brandy that Gus drank before his surgery and filled it up with fresh water before basically to keep his own stash. And he also had food tablets or some sort of nutrition. And Gus sees this and tells Sparks, but Sparks is like half asleep. And again, he thinks Gus is losing his mind, which he kind of is, but he's also telling the truth. And Gus confronts, well, not confronts is a strong word, but even Gus is kind of like, questioning his own visions and stuff. So, uh, but he says, Hey, where'd you get the water? Why are you hiding the water from everyone? And, uh, friendly and as kindly as possible, Willie, while everyone else is asleep, dumps Gus overboard and he drowns. Everyone wakes up 
and they realize what's happened. They find the water and um, they believe that Gus has been murdered by him and it's over. Everyone now, with the exception, I think, of Joe is pretty much. Yeah, Joe's the only one who really objects. Even Miss Higley, who's the most pacifist of them, except for Joe, uh, takes the beating the crap out of Willie, like beat him with a board, like Spartacism with a board. Uh, Rittenhouse grabs the, Gus's shoe that he no longer needed because he had been ampu- his leg amputated and beats this Willie guy to death. And he goes out to sea and dies. And right after this, well, I guess it's like another day or so. You can start to see some weathering on people's faces as they've been in the sun for so long. And uh, they're starting to break down. They're starting to get in fights between Mr. Kovac and everybody starts fighting and getting tense because it would make sense at this point. They think they're going to die shortly. Well, they see a boat in the horizon. Uh, Well, actually, they start fishing. And so there's this subplot with this bracelet that Mr. Kovac doesn't like, and they use it as bait for fish. Now, fisher people, people who fish, get at me. Can you use jewelry as bait? So first I've seen it in film or otherwise. Well, they hook a big fish. And as they're hauling the fish aboard, apparently you can use fish to hydrate yourself as well because there's lots of oils and they're like, I don't know, they could be making that up. But that's part of the thing. If they get this fish, they all get food. They'll have the energy to row the boat and they'll probably get some hydration along the way. Well, while they're fishing for the fish, there's a boat on the horizon, a giant boat. And they let go of the fish right as they're pulling it into the boat, which seems stupid to me because you have enough people there where you could pull the fish in and wave the boat down. But they opt to just wave the boat down. And Connie laughs it off because this bracelet that has symbolized the attachment for her to material things is now gone. And she laughs it off. So I get why that's there and what it means to that character. But it just, you fish with jewelry? Do diamonds attract fish? I know fish are dumb. All right, well. Well, it turns out this boat that they're seeing is that supply boat, that German supply boat. But at this point, it's either you get on the supply boat or die. And so as this boat is coming, there's like a big boat, right? That's the supply boat. And then there's another lifeboat or smaller boat that's going out to the lifeboat with our cast in it. And they're yelling at them and waving. And all of a sudden, they get a signal from the big boat. And the little boat with the Germans in it turns around. And they're like, whoa, they're leaving us to die. And that's what I think. I'm like, oh, they realize they're Americans and they're just going to leave them to die. And uh, that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, there is an American boat nearby and they start bombing everyone. They blow up the tiny life, not the one with our cast, but the lifeboat with the, uh, uh, the Germans in it. And then there's more bombs going off in the water. This looks great. Um, this whole movie looks great. Like a lot of rear projection with the water. The camera's always moving to simulate that motion. Um, there's no point in the movie where it breaks that believability for me, where it takes me out of the movie to say, oh, they're on a set. Uh, it looks great. And uh, this bombing looks great. And they blow up the giant ship. And so now they believe that they will be saved by 
this American ship, which is 20 minutes away, which is when Connie says she needs to do her makeup. And uh, as they're waiting for the American boat to arrive, a hand reaches from the ocean and grabs the boat. They pull the man aboard and it is another German soldier. And they have the debate one more time. What do we do? Because we trusted Willie and it cost us. It cost us Gus. It cost us time and water. Now, granted, they'd be dead if it weren't for Willie. I don't know, because Willie saved him in the storm. But regardless, they don't trust Germans. And they have more arguments about it. And this young German soldier, they because they were like, hey, this is different. This kid is young. Um, you know, he's like 19. Uh, and this kid pulls a gun on them. They quickly disarm him. And... They don't ever answer what happens to this German kid, but they kind of leave it open as to what's the right thing to do. And they said, perhaps Gus and Mrs. Higley or Alice McKenzie, whichever, I don't know. Alice McKenzie or Miss Higley, I don't know which one's the nurse, but the mother of the child and the child himself know what the right answer is to that now that they've passed. And we cut to the end. Now, I sounded, I think, like I didn't like this movie much, but I think it's super strong. There are plot holes. But if you get past them, you're told a really entertaining story that's performed really well uh, by a likable cast and a hateable cast. I mean, Willie is really easy to dislike in this movie which is what his role is. So I definitely would put this at the top of the list of the movies I've seen. I, it's always comes back to the fact though, that the lady vanishes is so much fun to me. And I have so many positive memories around those characters. And sometimes these movies, they come back and like, even though I, I mentioned shadow of a doubt, wasn't that great. There's things about that movie that stick with me that make me think I like it more than I did on the initial watch. But I also really like this movie. I think just it's so strong and it's all taking place within the lifeboat and the story is entertaining. It's not boring. There are parts that slow down and those are heavy character driven parts to establish the characters and the relationships in this small boat. Uh, So everything has a purpose, which is nice. It's not there to pad things out like in The Lady Vanishes. That first 30 minutes is just I mean, you could argue that there's character stuff there and there is but most of it you don't need and in this i don't think there's a ton of fat uh i i think that the romances are weak and could go but at the same time they're not they don't take away from the story and i and i think if you're going to keep one of the romances the one between sparks and um either alice mckenzie or miss higley because i can't remember which one was which uh could stay So now we leave 1944 and we're on a roll of just decent movies, right? So our next one actually stars Gregory Peck. Now this is, I think, no, cause we had that Cary Grant movie. I was cause well-known actors, but Cary Grant was in that one uh, suspicion. Uh, but Gregory Peck is, I believe won the Oscar for 
To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you haven't seen To Kill a Mockingbird, you probably have, because I've seen it several times, all of which in high school, I think. Uh, and Gregory Peck played the attorney who had to defend uh, a black man accused of rape and possibly murder. No, I think it was just rape. Either way, his life was on the line. Uh, and it's an excellent movie. So I have high hopes that our next movie, Spellbound, from 1945, is... Uh, good as well be and we'll get to see Gregory Peck's performance in that well that's Alfred Hitchcock uh, his movie Lifeboat again I recommend it is it my favorite mm, I don't know I don't know I'm, I'm I think I'm done with that rating system of just picking one movie that's my favorite because we're starting it's starting to get where I can't pick because Lifeboat is so different from the lady vanishes. It's like comparing comedies to dramas and trying to pick a better one because they try to serve different purposes. Like the movie airplane is, well, is that a better movie than saving private right? Private Ryan. Well, they're trying to do different things and I'm not going to watch saving private Ryan. If I'm in the mood for a movie like airplane and vice versa, but our next movie spellbound, go ahead and check it out. If you can, if you want, or you don't have to, and I'll come back, you'll come back next week, and I'll just uh, run it down for you and let you know if it's worth your time. You can reach out to me at hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. You can also click on the Discord link in the description and talk to me in the Budget Arcade Discord. Be sure to check out my other movie podcast if you're into this. Uh, it's called Das Movie Draft House. That's D-A-S, the word movie, the word draft, and then the word house, spelled S. A-U-S-H-A-U-S. I can't even get it right. I don't know how you're going to find it. I'll put a link in the description. You can clickety-clack that. I'll catch you on the next one. We're going to watch Spellbound. Uh, goodbye.